season number two, episode number nine, One Golden Moment Podcast, Justice Del Santos, Joey Patton, aka Jose Patron, Max and Lucy ain't with us today, they're, they're out and about, enjoying not being in school for the first time in four years, and speaking of which, Joey, my man, you're done, you hit the finish line, you graduated, I, I gotta hit you with the talk about, talk about what it's like to finally be done with school. After like 16 years, if we're going back to like kindergarten. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man, that, that weekend was perhaps the longest of my life. It was just crazy running around, having your family here. I actually had um, a final just hours before the ceremony. It was I got out at 10 p.m., so that was pretty brutal. But then I woke up the next morning at like 6, got ready. We sat out in the cold, had our ponchos on, went into the ceremony and started pouring and I felt so bad for Wendy Cobb. She was the speaker at the commencement ceremony, and it was just pouring rain. Everyone was leaving in the middle of her speech. And then after that, I went to dinner with my family, and everyone was pushing through each other in the rain. It was pretty wild, but it cleared up on Sunday. It wasn't too rainy. Um, went to my department graduation, which was actually a lot of fun. Bill Clinton's speechwriter was uh, our commencement speaker, so that was pretty cool. And then, you know, it's all it's, it's slowed down a little bit since then. I guess the post-grad life hasn't hit me too hard yet, but I really enjoyed just being able to hang out these past couple days. I'm not going to lie. Just when the fact that it was raining, just it was pouring rain. It's one of those. It felt like it's one of those things where in the moment it's like, ah, oh, this sucks. Like, I've, I just want it to be sunny. I want it to be bright. I want it to be like this joyous day. But then you look back on it in a couple of years and it's like, that was pretty dope. Like, that's kind of how I felt about like, well, I wasn't there physically, but game seven of the 2014 NLCS Giants Cardinals, that was when it was like pouring rain. And then you got that shot of like Marco Scudero, like extending his arms out in the rain. Am I like accurate in that? Or was it like, uh, I don't know, it was kind of wet. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, honestly, like I was hoping for, you know, some sunshine and that kind of thing. But I mean, in the end, like it's going to be pretty funny looking back on it and telling everyone, oh, when I graduated in college, it was so it was pouring rain. Everyone's leaving. It was cold. I don't know. I think it was actually kind of funny. And my friends and I, we were having a good time laughing about it down on the field at the time. So it was it was cool. I was fine with it. I'll say that's one of the things I'm not looking forward to about graduation is just if it is like if it's super sunny, then you're just like literally standing in like this super unforgiving sun with like this clothing that very much attracts sunshine so I feel like in that way like the sunshine or like rather the rain I feel like it would have led to like a more fun experience like yeah you do have the fact that you know not everyone's gonna want to sit around for it but it just like it feels like a cinematic in a way it's like this very like last stand in a way it just feels like it it sounds like a lot more fun because I don't know me personally just as a runner like when I was back in high school we would have like these days where we'd practice and be pouring rain. It felt like I was always in like a Rocky movie with like the, the theme song like blaring in the background. And I feel like that's kind of the equivalent of what it may be like. Maybe maybe Rocky wasn't playing, wasn't bumming, but it just seems like a very, you know, this like last hurrah in a sense. Absolutely. Anytime you throw some rain in there, it definitely seems like a big triumph and it's always more epic. And he, you know, all these great movies end with just this dramatic scene in the rain and that's the climax. And honestly, like, you know, going through these two years at Berkeley, I was a transfer student, so that's why I said two. But, you know, coming through this and then finally reaching that pinnacle, you know, and just coming, it's pouring rain. I think that was kind of a cool way to close it out. Absolutely. I think the only thing that could have made it like more stereotypical movie is if like in the air tonight by phil collins just started playing you have like that beat <laughs> you have the, <laughs> the drums coming down and it's like when everyone graduates just like dun 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 but yeah 
again, congratulations on making it to the pinnacle. I wish Max and Lucy were here to, you know, engage. Because I feel like you'd have more of like a comprehensive conversation with them mm -hmm. opposed to me. I still got a year to go. So like just the general sentiment of what it's like to graduate and nevertheless be a senior hasn't really hit me yet. I hope this isn't the last time you have it on this podcast. But to switch gears a little bit, I think this past weekend may have been the last time we see a couple players on that Cal Diamond. So, to, so, oh, to, so that, to, to switch gears <laughs> to to the actual baseball part of it, this is a Cal baseball podcast after all. Uh, Cal split a its series with Arizona State, and if you're wondering how on earth you can split a three game series, <laughs> that was because the third game was actually canceled to rain. So we didn't really get the sort of you know we're talking about climaxes here and graduating and like really making it to the end in this triumphant moment. Well, neither Cal nor Arizona State really got that opportunity to have their you know so to say, climax of that series. Uh, Cal currently on the season is 30 and 18, currently still sitting at 34 in the RPI, uh, still sitting at fourth place in the Pac-12 standings too, and that can be attributed to, you know, these teams not being able to finish that final game. Because you got to think, you know, if that final game gets played, you know, both teams are tied for fourth place in the Pac-12 standings. Arizona State sitting at 33, Cal sitting at 34. You got to figure if one of those teams wins that last game, the standings are going to look you know, relatively different, regardless mm -hmm. of whether it's a beat down or it's a close game. Those standings are going to be shuffling a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, it's just such a disappointment that we didn't get to see that third game. Um, I definitely think, you know, when you have two teams that are as identical as these two, you know, Lucy spent considerable time in the last podcast talking about just how identical these teams are and how they have their sluggers. We have ours, heavy offense. We're ranked 33 and 34 in the RPI rankings and tied for fourth in the Pac-12. I mean, honestly, you get to play that third game. I would have loved to have seen that, see one of the teams actually claim that fourth place spot, have someone slide down to five. And also, I mean, if we could have won that game, maybe that could have done some good for us in the RPI. Um, also, on the flip side of that, maybe if we lost, they would have risen, we would have fallen. I don't know, but it would look a lot different if we did play it. And you got to figure with how malleable the RPI can get. Like, that thing is changing by the day. If you consider that, you know, if there's a situation where, you know, Cal wins that game or Arizona State wins that game, that last, that, the final game of that series could potentially be the difference between one of those teams and where they end up going in terms of the regionals. And, you know, we've kind of talked about it at nauseum, Cal's postseason chances. And you got to think that both of these teams are pretty much locks to earn that at-large bid, or if not locks, something relatively close to it. And at this point, it's just a matter of seeding and where they end up playing. You know, you know that could be the difference between them playing. You know, I'm not exactly sure like how they determine where, like who plays where, but that could be the difference between, you know, them playing at Palo Alto and Stanford or like North Carolina or like Alabama or something of that nature. So getting into the games themselves. So game number one, Arizona State defeats Cal six to five in eleven innings, and this wasn't just another close game that Cal couldn't seem to win. It was another close game where Cal was in the driver's seat and they just, for, for whatever reason, couldn't get it done. Uh, building off last week's start against Stanford, Armand Sabori once again gets to use in that more traditional starter role, allows two earned runs over a career-high six innings, matching a season high with six strikeouts. And when Sabori departed from the mound, Cal was very much in a position to win. They were leading 4-2 heading into the seventh inning, and then the wheels kind of fall off from there. Jack Delmore allows a solo home run to Spencer Torkelson in the top of the seventh. Cal's lead gets trimmed to one, four to three. 
Then in the top of the eighth, Gage Workman slaps a two-run triple off Rogelio Reyes, and Arizona State takes a 5-4 lead, uh, one of those runs actually being attributed to Delmore, who allowed a hit to one of those runners who would score. You know, Andrew Vaughn saves the day in the bottom of the eighth, tied the game at five apiece. Neither team scores a run in the ninth, and this one goes to extras. Arizona State gets that ultimately deciding run in the top of the 11th Cal Camp match, and they drop, they drop a relatively hard game to swallow, and we'll talk about this a little more once I finish up our conversation on game two, which was uh, Cal defeating Arizona State 3-2, to two. and once again, it's the Jared Horn Show. <laughs> you know, after flirting with the complete game several times this season, Horn finally had the right mix of things come together, and he finally got it done. Nine innings, nine strikeouts, two earned runs, both of which came via the solo homers. And there's a real gutsy way to finish this game as well, with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, or top of the ninth, rather. Workman triples to center when Cameron Eden overruns a ball. So now you're looking at a situation, runner on third, two outs, ninth inning, one run game, Horn's at 119 pitches. And, you know, when you're at night, when you hit the 100 mark, nevertheless, 119, you know, the arm's going to start to be a little fatigued. The juice is going to be running low. With his back against the wall, with the go-ahead run at the plate, Carter Aldretti, who, side note, was one of those players who had hit a solo home run on him. He already had Horn's number on the day. Horn strikes him out on three pitches. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night to finish off the gem. And then game number three, game number three was actually supposed to take place following game number two had actually gotten pushed back a day, and they were going to make this one into a doubleheader. But unfortunately for every, for all parties involved, because of weather, that game ultimately got canceled. Uh, Saturday was supposed to be a getaway day for Arizona State, so that game could not have been rescheduled. So now we're kind of just, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, they split the series and we get this very anticlimactic end to the weekend. Now, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I want to go into it a little more in depth. Because this series did get shortened to just two games, it never it's hard to give a definitive successful or unsuccessful demarcation to this week. And it's sort of like I mentioned, like a playoff series that never really concludes. And you're left wondering, you know, what could have happened if that final game is played? If you were to judge this series based on how game one went, you're thinking, oh, this was a terrible weekend for Cal. They were up four to two. They were in the position to win this game. And they ultimately couldn't hang on because the bullpen allowed, I believe, four runs. And then if you're judging this game by how game two went, you're thinking this was a fantastic weekend. Horn goes, he goes the distance. He finally gets that much after complete game, which is as close to, you know, the dodo bird in baseball terms. (laughs) And now you're left wondering, it's like, do we judge this as a good weekend? Was it a bad weekend? Was it somewhere in between? So I think that's where I sort of want to start off. How would you, how do you judge this weekend just based on the two games that did happen and, you know, the one game that unfortunately no one was able to see because of weather concerns? I can definitely tell you it's not satisfying. Um, You know, I mean, obviously game one was heartbreaking and then game two was fantastic getting to see Jared Horn finally go the distance. It finally happened. We've been talking about it all year. No, and I mean, as far as like the gameplay goes in games one and two, though, I mean, it was great to see that and it was great to see both teams going at it. I think what was unsatisfying is what you everything you just said about, you know, all that being left on the table. Game three, who knows what could have went down there. I mean, we wanted to see these two teams, you know, really prove who was the top dog. We wanted to see Cal get their first series win, you know, in a series of this caliber, that kind of thing with the stakes that high. Um Honestly, I just, I don't know, it was originally scheduled to be a doubleheader, and then, like you said, they canceled it due to weather concerns. I would have been so down to see a nice little doubleheader. I mean, I think everyone would have been, and it it is just kind of upsetting. But, I mean, 
you know, not to dwell on, you know, what, what wasn't. Let's talk about what was. Um, yeah, you know, game one was just kind of a heartbreaking loss. I mean, it was great to see the team show resilience and, you know, just hang in there the whole way. Andrew Vaughn with that home run late in the game. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, just weren't able to close it out, went into extras, and it just kind of fell. Um, but then game two, you know, stellar pitching. I mean, I was, t- I was telling you this before we got on the air. I was watching the highlights from that um, – those two home runs Jared Horn gave up, and they were both pouring rain, so I don't know. I feel like maybe those two runs could have been, you know, due to the weather. Maybe he didn't have the grip he wanted on the ball or something like that. I'm not making excuses for him. I'm just saying. Um, but Jared Horn, I mean, he's a baller, and he went out there and balled. Now he's second in the Pac-12 in ERA after this. Um, I, I think I saw a lot of good stuff this weekend, and like I said, it would have been great to have seen a game three. But, I mean, I am, you know, I'm pretty solid with what I saw from our team this weekend. Well, I think this is a good transition into, you know, something we've talked about over the past couple podcasts, but, you know, we've, we've talked about in these very general terms, and now I sort of have, you know, I was able to look back on and look up some stats and sort of back up what we've been seeing, and it's like not just an eye test situation anymore, it's sort of the reality, and what I mean is the discrepancy between uh, the starters and the relievers. So, the first two, well, the only two games of this Arizona State series, we saw Saborigo six innings, which, as I mentioned, was a career high, his previous career high being five, and we saw Horn go a complete game, nine innings, again, that being a career high for him as well. And I'm just going to throw some stats at you real quick just to really illustrate the discrepancy between how Saborian Horn pitched and how the relievers pitched. And this weekend, it was Delmore, Volger, Reyes, and Sullivan. So here are here's how that went. So for Saborian Horn, they threw a combined 15 innings, 15 strikeouts, four earned runs, and three walks. Combined, that's an ERA of 240. Now for the relievers, Delmore, Volger, Reyes, and Selvin, five innings pitched, six strikeouts. It's like, okay, solid. But four earned runs, two walks, that's an ERA of 720. If you want to bring that back to the Stanford series... So if we're going to combine the efforts, that would mean Sabori's last two starts, Horn's last two starts, and the lone Stoutenborough start from that Sunday game. 33.1 innings pitched, 30 strikeouts, 11 earned runs, 10 walks, ERA of 2.99. For the relievers, there's there too many relievers to just list off, so I'm just going to have it as uh, the bullpen staff here. Over the past two weekends, 13.2 innings pitched, 11 earned runs, Five walks, 13 strikeouts. It's an ERA of 750. Now, it was easy to sort of, you know, push this aside a little bit when Cal was going on that really ridiculous winning streak when they were winning, I don't know, 17 of their last 20 games, when they were knocking down opponents left and right, when the bullpen had the, so to say, the freedom to give away these runs just because they had inherited such a large lead, whether it be via the offense or via the starting pitching but now we're getting into that point in the season where, you know, we've, we've already identified that as this team's Achilles heel. But now it's getting to the point where not only is it just a minor, a, so to say, minor inconvenience in terms of, you know, getting your guys off the field. It's becoming probably Cal's number one most pressing problem. And, you know, you know, you got it's It's a really difficult uh, proposition for new because this is a very young pitch uh, specifically a very young relieving core you know there aren't too many experienced guys that are coming out of the pen and among your top guys most of them are 
you know, starters. Horn being a junior, one of your best pitchers. Sabor, he's, you know, transitioned to this starting role a little more, and he's effective in it. And then you do have Stottenborough, but he has been making his money as a starter. So when you start looking to who could potentially come in relief, you know, if, you know, in the case of game one where Sabori goes six innings and you can't use Horn, you can't use Stoutenborough, it's this question of who do you go to? And I think that, you know, New does have a certain set of guys that he has been going to, Volger, Reyes, Sullivan, but it's that question of, you know, is there that level of trust? Can you trust that these guys can give you one inning of scoreless ball or two innings of scoreless ball? And I think, the question, you know, just looking at the ERA of the last couple of weeks, but then also extrapolating that to this season as a whole is, I think it's very hard to, you know, trust these young guys in these situations. That's no fault of their own. You can't, you know, they're young. They're, you know, a lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores, but at the same time, it's, this is the biggest problem that Cal has to address. But at the same time, it's one that, you know, it, it's really difficult to address too, just because of the way that, your starters have been pitching. And it's like, you don't want to bump any of the starters into that relief role just because you need relief pitching. So it's this conundrum of what exactly do you do? And I think that News trying to grapple that question. And I think we, you know, I think Max and Lucy would uh, grapple with that question as well. What do you do in regards to these relievers? And I don't think there's an easy answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is no easy answer to that. I think I mean, obviously, Coach New is well aware of, you know, the situation, and he knows it is a little bit shallow into the bullpen. I think actually moving Sabori into that starter role and having him stretch more innings, I mean, I think that was his first attempt in addressing the issue, you know. Sabori's not a dude that traditionally has been throwing six innings, but, I mean, if that's his new role and he needs to fill that, so be it. I mean, he's just, all, all year long, New's been scrambling around this staff, the rotation. He's been having dudes open who are traditionally starters and then having people go to the pen who are starters or having relievers come into the starting role. It's just kind of crazy, you know, seeing how we can scramble. Um, in regard to the youth and inexperience of the staff, I mean, you look at our nine freshman pitchers, you know, it's something that you, you just said. It's, you know, you can't coach experience. They have to earn that on their own, right? They need to, you know, really get their feet wet and really find their form and come into it and like meet the collegiate standard and I mean you know what if they're facing struggles in their freshman year that's to be expected I think moving forward we need to see them step it up it is just, it's such a tough tough excuse me tough situation you know um how, how do you get your bullpen to improve if you don't have you know maybe you just don't have the personnel to address that at the moment you left off by saying maybe there's a dude who can go one inning and you were telling me before the show there is a dude who you think can be really effective in a one inning role do you want to go ahead and share that yeah i can go into that actually so this is something that i've noticed over the past couple of weeks and you know i'm gonna i'm gonna first say you know correlation causation you know i, I mentioned that a lot on the basketball podcast you know this idea that correlation does not mean causation but an interesting stat that I've seen over the past couple of weeks is, you know, we've seen Rogelio Reyes' role kind of oscillate, you know, in a couple, like earlier on, he was used in, you know, he was the back end of that opener. So someone would open for him on that Sunday game and then he'd get stretched out a little bit. But now we've sort of seen him really transition mainly into that reliever role. And while he has transitioned into that reliever role the amount of work that he's getting has kind of shifted as well. You know, over the past two outings, we've seen him go, you know, about two innings, three innings. But there was also a stretch of five straight outings when he went 1.2 innings or fewer. I believe there was three one-inning outings, one one-inning and a third outing, and then one 1.2. 
And in all five of those outings, he had no earned runs. And this is the part where I say correlation, causation, yada, yada, yada. But potentially, you know, I think, you know, considering that, maybe you got to think that with Rogelio, his, like, he is best suited to just be a one-inning guy. And, you know, we see this in the majors as well. Some people are just more suited to just be that one-inning guy, really empty the tank and not have to worry about the innings that you have after it's just you know i'm gonna go out there's three batters that are gonna be in front of me i'm just gonna go out and get them on the flip side of that though because rogelio had like over the past over the season rather because he has been stretched out because he has proven that he can be effective when pitching multiple innings maybe you don't want to use him as that one inning guy and it's this question of do you want to maximize his efficiency or do you want to maybe stretch him out a little bit and, you know, in stretching him out, you may not get that maximum efficiency that you would get in a one-inning outing, but you would get a little more, what's the word for it? There would be more comfort, so I can't, the word that I'm, I'm trying to find is not, it's slipping me right now, but it's a little more stability in knowing that you have someone that does have experience out there. You know, he may not be at his best over two innings or three innings, but you know you have an experienced arm on the mound as opposed to, as you mentioned, having to, you know, sort of navigate with these freshmen and these sophomores. So I guess that that's part of the dilemma, I would assume, news having to, you know, sort of deal with as well. Yeah, certainly. An idea that just kind of struck me as you were speaking, if we're going Rogelio Reyes as a one-inning guy, what if here and this is I don't this hasn't happened yet, but this is just a, an idea. What if we had Reyes open a game, throw the first inning, and then have Sabori come in to follow him and go his six innings or however comfortable he feels going? Or, you know, Reyes could also I mean he has the third lowest ERA on the team. Like he's a solid pitcher. I know he's like really shined or shown shined 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 in that one inning. Can you can you tell we go to Cal? <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're the number two public school in UCLA. Hey, according to who? <laughs> according to who? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, you know, I mean, if he can go two innings and give up a run, I consider that a solid outing. I mean, with this offense, that's going to be putting up seven runs a game. I don't see any reason that's a problem. So if you get Rogelio, go one, two innings, give up zero or one run, um, and then you get Sabori to come in to fill that spot after him. I mean, honestly, that might be worth something worth trying. And then it's just a matter of who's going to close the game out because I don't see Sabori going going seven innings. But, it, yeah. I would say the one thing with that, it is an interesting concept. I would say the one criticism I would have, of it, and it's not necessarily criticism either, it's would you think that it's a little too late in the season to want to experiment with something like that? Because, you know, this Washington series is their last series of the regular season. And assuming that they get into the postseason, you know, that's, you know, this series is really their last in terms of experimentation, so to say, but I don't think Washington is a team that you can just, you know, experiment against, so to say. You know, this is a very solid team. For the longest time, they were in that contention for potentially one of those final spots, and they've sort of faded out, especially after the sweep that they suffered at the hands of UCLA. But it's an interesting dilemma of what do you, like, how much more can you experiment with this team? Or have you sort of hit a wall? And it's like what we have is what we have, and we just need to rock with what we have. Yeah, no, and I, I, I get that. I totally hear that. It is weak, or I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm thinking in football terms, weak this, weak that. But <laughs> this is our last series of the season before we head into the tournament, and I understand that. Um, but at the same I don't know. I think that some things are worth trying, and I think I'd, it'd be better 
maybe to try and fail than just to not try because I think if it's worth I mean you look at Sabori just last weekend was his first time going into that starter role if I'm not mistaken and I mean that was the second to last weekend of the series or it was, it was against Stanford right or was it ASU I'm for who Sabori going into the starting role yeah, Stanford was the first time that he really got stretched out. We saw him go, you know, two innings, three innings a couple times, but we never saw him actually take on, you know, that workload in quite some time. Yeah, so my thing is, like, I don't know, that was the third to last series of the season, and it's your biggest rival, and they were willing to experiment with it there. Also, I mean, like, at the end of the day, I don't think it's too experimental. Like, it's pitching is pitching, and I think Rogelio Reyes, like, being a traditional starter like he was last year, and I think at the beginning of this year as well, like, he can... um I mean, he knows how to pitch. He knows how to sling it. I think it doesn't matter to him whether he's coming in the first or if he's coming in the seventh. I think he's going to do him. And Sabori, he's used to coming out of the pen anyway, so I don't think it's too experimental, to be completely honest. That's a good point. Yeah, I, I didn't even – I didn't kind of register with me how – not Stoutenboro – how Sabori, you know, against the number three team in the country, knew was like – Okay, we're gonna have you be a legit starter now. Go ahead, go for it. And you know, he fared well in both that Stanford start and in that Arizona State's uh, start. So I think it actually, I think it would worth, you know, maybe giving that a shot in the Washington series. I don't know if there actually are. I guess we're gonna we're gonna find out in a little bit. But I think it's gonna. This is gonna be a, it's sort of similar to that Utah series. This is sort of the way that I see this Washington series is, you know, you're going up against a solid team, but not, you know, really one of the big boppers of the Pac-12, so to say. And if you can, you know, considering that Washington's a very, you know, on the scale of hitting teams, a very, you know, relatively weak hitting team, they do have a couple of A-plus hitters. But if your offense can, you know, get you seven, eight, nine, ten runs, and they can get you a comfortable lead, then maybe that's the time where you can, you know, experiment a little bit. And that's what sort of what we saw in that second game with the Stanford series. You know, Horn, he had seven innings of scoreless ball. I believe he struck out nine. And because of that, New was afforded the opportunity, you know, with an 18-run lead to just say, hey, we're going to give it to the young bloods and we're going to allow them to do what they need to do and get that experience in. You know, they weren't perfect in that outing. I can't remember off the top of my head who the two relievers were that came in after Horn in that second game. But sometimes it's not about, you know, being completely productive and shutting them down one, two, three. Sometimes it's just about getting on the mound, being able to finish an inning uns- relatively unscathed and have something to work upon, have some have some sort of foundation and knowing that you did it against a solid team as well. So that's sort of where, you know, I'm thinking about in terms of where this could potentially go. Oh, for sure. And I mean, anytime you're going to get an 18-run lead and you're not experimenting, I feel like you're you're not really doing your job because that's the time where you got to really explore your options and, you know, see what you're working with moving forward. And like you said, you know, Washington may not be the type of team to put up seven runs against Cal, you know, if they are a weak hitting team. So if we can expect to get a lead in these games, I mean, absolutely. you got to you got to explore all the depths of your bullpen. you got to be looking at every angle. you got to be looking for any guy you can throw in there, see if you can get some reps. You know, see if you can throw some pitches, get some experience, and I mean, honestly, see what you got going into the postseason. And I think someone that I would like to see this weekend, if it's possible, is Grant Holman. Because we haven't seen him in quite some time. The last time he made an appearance was that San Francisco game, that midweek game, and he actually pitched relatively solid in that one. Two innings pitch, no earned runs. But we haven't seen him since. We didn't see him in the Stanford series, and we didn't see him in the Arizona State series. Uh, I was told that... You know, in regards to the Arizona State series, you know, 
when Stoutenborough had that illness and everything kind of got pushed back, that sort of threw Holman's plans into a little bit of flux as well. And I was also told he also had, um, he was feeling slightly under the weather. And if all things permitting, we may see him in this Washington series. I think it would be huge just to see him being able to pitch. You know, we talk about a lot of the freshmen on this staff. You know, I think I kind of alluded this into another podcast, but I think that Holman in particular, he has that potential to be, you know, similar to Dodson last year, where you, you like one of your premier two-way guys, especially in this era of, you know, versatility and getting the most out of guys and what they can do and holding up spots on the bench. I feel like Holman has that potential to not only get it done at the plate, but on the mound and be a weapon. You know, this is a, a conversation for next year's season preview, so to say. But yeah, I would be interested to see what Holman can do you know, in relief this weekend if he is available. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, so I'm looking at Holman's stats right now, and I think it's pretty funny. He's got a 4.89 ERA, but then his whip is only 1.34, which I mean, typically you would think if you have a low whip, you're not going to have a high ERA. That's kind of interesting to see that. I do remember, I forget which team it was. I'm trying to, I think it, w- it was Oregon. It was the Oregon series, and I think he pitched, I'm trying to remember I remember he he pitched really well for the majority of that game, and then he had one bad inning that really threw a wrench into everything that he had done in the innings prior. Mm-hmm. And you know that stuff that stuff kind of happens. You have one bad inning, and it really you know it really it messes up your stats for that game, and it really messes up the perception of like what you would have coming out of it. And you know it just leaves a really sour taste in your mouth. And you know he has had the typical ailments of a freshman. There have been some good starts in there. There have been some bad starts in there. There's been some some of those C grade starts as well. But going forward, I think especially as you're going into the postseason, I think this is really the time where if he is healthy and he's is willing to really just get him out there and see, you know, what you have and the sort of that level of trust that you can have him in, so to say. I believe that he's he's quietly been of one of Cal's you know, better pitchers, not necessarily by if you're just looking at ERA, but if you're looking at what he can do on the mound, I think he's quietly been one of those guys that, you know, I don't know, just when I'm watching him on the mound and watching him pitch, I have this feeling that, you know, he's going to be able to put me in a position to win. And, you know, not being able to pitch over the last couple of weeks may have thrown sort of a, a wrench in like the, the rhythm that he's trying to establish. But I think it would be beneficial for uh the pitching staff to just you know see him out there see what he has absolutely and you talk about you know having one bad inning kind of maybe you know messing with his mojo and then not being able to play I'm sure that's hurt his confidence I can tell you um my freshman year of high school I was playing pitcher on my team and I had gotten lit up by our JV team we played in a scrimmage and my coaches actually didn't trust me after that (laughs) and (laughs) I can't tell you how embarrassing that was and I was just I kind of shot my confidence for a while but then we were playing one of our, our biggest games. We had a 6-0 lead coming into the seventh. High school games were seven. And they let me go in and close it out. And I threw a scoreless inning. And that kind of like that one good outing, throwing that scoreless inning, getting a save, that really kind of gave me a lot of confidence. And it gave me that you know ability to move forward and just go out there and throw my best pitch. And I think if you give Grant Holman an opportunity to rebound from a bad inning and you know he can go out in a comfortable lead and he can just feel relaxed and at ease and go out there and throw his best stuff, I mean, that could be a great, you know, way to just get him back out there feeling good and, you know, rebuild some confidence. In terms of someone who, you know, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Some, in terms of someone who isn't lacking confidence whatsoever, I want to give a little bit of attention. You know, we talk a lot about the pitching. We don't really talk about the offense that much at, like in terms of the depth that we do, the pitching staff. 
But I want to give a little attention to Corey Lee. Now, for anyone that's been following Cal baseball, you know that Corey Lee has been one of the premier hitters on this team. He was just named a semifinalist for the Buster Posey Award, which used to be the Johnny Bench Award, an award given to uh, the best uh, collegiate catchers in the country, one of 14 semifinalists, actually, one of three players in the Pac-12 to receive that uh, semifinalist demarcation. And if you just look at his stats straight up, you'll it's not hard to tell that he has been one of the best hitters uh, on this Cal team, but something in particular that's caught my eye, and I've I've especially been paying attention to it going into this weekend, is that in big games, Corey Lee does not care who's on that mound. He has the utmost confidence in terms of going up against these premier teams. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with a little bit of stats, and we kind of discussed this a little bit, but I'm gonna hit the audience with some stats real quick. So against BYU, both games, I'm counting the fourth game of the season as well. The LSU series, the Oregon State series, UCLA, Oregon, Stanford, and Arizona State. In all of those games, these are these are the teams that I consider the the top teams that Cal has faced this season, so to say. Lee's batting 30 for 73. That's a batting average of 411 and has had a hit in every single one of those games. I can't remember how many games that is, but I'm going to assume it's somewhere, you know, 16, 15, somewhere in that range of games. So to have this tremendous hitting streak, so to say, against the best teams, also throwing four home runs, the two home run game that he had against UCLA, the number one t- uh, pitching staff in the nation, 14 RBIs, it's amazing. You know, we always talk about this idea of really stepping up against the best, uh, the best teams in the country, and you see what you're really made of when you're going up against the best of the best. But Corey Lee has kind of taken it to this extreme where not only is he, is he rising to the occasion against the best of the best, he's hitting them as if, you know, they're scrubs, so to say. He's hitting them against, as if he's going against, sorry to poke fun at you, but if it's that JV team. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me read you a quote Corey Lee gave me a few weeks ago. It was actually a while ago now when we played Long Beach State. He told me, we're going to come out and we're going to play the same baseball no matter who they are. So if it's LSU, if it's Cal Poly, if it's Long Beach, doesn't really matter. Just coming out with that fire is the biggest thing for our team. I mean, that kind of just is a pure reflection of, you know, Corey, Corey Lee's a gamer. It doesn't matter if he's going up against Ryan Garcia or, you know, any of these big-time pitchers out there. He's going to come out with that same fire, and he's going to come out, and he's just going to be looking to rake the ball. You go to that number one, that game one of the UCLA series, he had two home runs in that game, kept us in it. That's the heartbreaker we lost, 7-8. But, I mean, the point is UCLA was the number one team in the country. They went on the road, and he was the first guy to get us on the board. You talk about all these stats, how well he's hitting against all these ranked opponents, how incredible he's been playing against, you know, all these high-profile teams. That just goes, I mean, that's a testament to, you know, who he is as a competitor. Now he's, you know, a, a nominee for the Buster Posey Award, and it, he absolutely deserves it. If he's going to come out there and have his best games against the best teams, I mean, that's what I call a gamer. Well, I would say there's a guy up in Oregon State, Adley Rushman, yeah. so it might be the potential number one pick. He might have something to say about that best catcher in the nation, so to say. <laughs> But I think that is, it's important to note that, you know, it's one thing to just say like, oh, look how he's hitting against these good teams. That's like really dope. I think it's another thing to note that if Cal does make the postseason, this will be the first time for every single player on this team. If you're going back to all of Junior's freshman year, they didn't make postseason. I believe they went 25 and 29 in News first season last year, they didn't make the postseason. So to go into that postseason knowing you have someone who really doesn't care who's on the mound, who can potentially, you know, 
I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hold him to that standard of batting 400 against the best of the best <laughs> and assume that he's going to bat 400 in regionals, super regionals, college world series, whatever that may be. But then you throw Andrew Vaughn in front of him, you know, the reigning Golden Spikes Award winner who was actually named a semifinalist in his own right, Cameron Eating, who's having a career year, Darren Baker, who's having a career year. When you throw all these guys who, you know, we talked a lot about this at the beginning of the season, that real, you know, don't know any better mentality where it's like, you know, we're, we're just young. Like, this is our first time here. We don't know any better. We don't know, like, what standard to adhere to because we're trying to create our own standard in a sense. I think going into a situation where the stakes are going to be raised higher than ever, to have someone in, you know, just to zero in on Lee in particular that has just decimated the elite teams that Cal has gone up against, I think that gives you a, you know, it sort of gives you a little more, again, I'm looking for the right word here. It gives you oh, confidence. It gives you confidence that, you know, he can go up there. And we, we see this in the playoffs in Major League Baseball where, you know, once it gets into the playoffs, your top guys don't always perform like your top guys. You know, that's just a function of how the playoffs work. And the, oh. <laughs> but it, it, I think it is beautiful to be able to see that and – I feel like beautiful is not the right term there. That's just my natural terminology coming out there. But it is it does provide that little bit of confidence that if you are going into a if you are going into a big game where you are gonna need your offense to be performing at the top of their capabilities, having Lee right up there and having as someone that's established a reputation throughout the entire year, it gives you a lot of confidence no matter who you go up against. Yeah, 100%. I mean, getting to play LSU, getting to play Oregon State, Stanford, UCL, I mean, it's honestly a blessing that we get to play in such a competitive conference and get to go against such high-quality teams all year long because, in reality, it's kind of playoff experience. I mean, when you go into the regional, you're going to be playing some of the top teams in the country. We've been playing these teams, and we've been hanging with these teams, and we've seen that Corey Lee's a gamer. He's the guy that's going to be hanging with these teams. So, really, I don't think he's going to come into the postseason with any kind of you know, different mentality, treating it like a different game. I think he's just going to go out there and take the same approach he's been taking to the plate. And I think this whole team has really, you know, kept their cool in all these high stakes games and they've really just risen to the occasion. And so going into a postseason, knowing that your guys are going to perform and they don't really care who they're going against, you said confidence. I mean, I feel confident about this team moving forward. I think these guys are going to rake as they've done all year. I'm, I mean, I can't wait to see what they do. And just real quickly before we get on out of here and get to our players of the week, uh, just a little bit of preview at Washington. I did mention uh, their their hitting, their batting 261 as a team. And I mentioned that it could potentially be a little similar to Utah and that this is a series where if Cal's offense sort of plays their cards right and they get a lot of runs on the board, you can really experiment with the pitching staff here. They do have a pair of solid pitchers. Nick Colley, I believe that's how it's pronounced, was named was also named to the Buster Posey. Semi, uh, he's named a semifinalist. But in terms of you know overall hitting depth, you know, it doesn't really stack up in the same way that you would compare it to a UCLA, Oregon State, Stanford, et cetera, et cetera. So as they head up to the great city of Washington, as they head up to the greater city of Seattle, shout out to Seattle, one of my favorite cities in the United States, what are you looking forward to in this series? What are you sort of watching? What is your expectation? What are your just overall thoughts on how this series uh, should go down? Yeah, I think this series proves a tremendous opportunity to just experiment with what you've got in the bullpen, something we talked about at length earlier in this podcast. Play around, see who you can trust, you know. Um, really give, give it, take this as an opportunity to give some guys some confidence heading into the regional. 
I mean, if you know that they're not the strongest hitters in the conference, go out there and maybe show some guys, excuse me, throw some guys who, you know, maybe need that boost, maybe need some more experience, get some innings in. I think I'm going to be looking at Coach New. I'm going to see how he scrambles the pitching staff around, and I really hope he will, you know, take this opportunity to just kind of play around with what he has and really, you know, see how the bullpen's going to measure up in this one. Before we get out of here, we're going to hit our little players of the week. Uh, before me and Joey actually get into it, we're actually going to throw it to a recording that Lucy did for us so that we can throw it in here. So we're going to throw you all that one real quick, and then we're going to get into our players of the week, and then we're going to get on out of here. Hi, all. I'm bummed that I can't be there in person, but I had my wisdom teeth out yesterday, and I've been a bit bedridden ever since trying to pack up a few things in my apartment and but in a very very slow kind of sluggish manner um but I wanted the chance to share my player of the week um which is Corey Lee um while he only logged one RBI on the weekend he consistently was at the top of Cal's leaderboard with two hits each game in general he is one of the highest batting averages on the team at 339 and he has shown that he can play consistently and well against the season's toughest competition, um, which aside from his offense, I read a stat that he has thrown out 12 of 25 attempted base stealers from home this season, and he was also just listed as the semifinalist for the Buster Posey Award for the best catcher in collegiate baseball, which is a huge honor. Um, The recipients of that award are released on June 3rd, I believe. But I feel like aside from his baseball playing, I just really appreciate his persona on the team from that reggae walk-up song to his listed interests of body surfing and golfing on the roster. So I think he makes a really important contributions to the team in terms of both his offensive and defensive play, but also just his general persona and mindset. He really does a good job of you know, keeping the team chill, but also amping them up and, you know, taking the ejection when need be. So Corey Lee is my player of the week. Thank you. So there it is. We kind of talked about Lee ad nauseum and it's kind of on cue for Lucy to go uh, with him as his or her player of the week. Where are you going to go with this one, Joey? I think there's a, there's a lot of candidates that we have out here. And, you know, sometimes we can overthink this one, but I have a feeling you're not going to overthink this one at all. There's nothing to think about. I'm just looking at the numbers. I got nine innings pitched, two earned runs, nine strikeouts. My player of the week, Jared Horn. It's Jared Horn show. <laughs> <laughs> all season long, we were just waiting for him to throw that CG. You know, you see him go eight and a third, eight two-thirds, and then finally just to do it. I mean, how incredible is that? And he only gave up two runs in the process against a really solid Arizona State team, come back and sit down the guy who homered off of him earlier on just three pitches. I mean, that was a pretty triumphant victory in that little at-bat there. So, you know what? Jared Horn, you're my player of the week. And I'm not going to overthink it too much either. As I was, as you were saying that, I kind of, I was looking a little bit towards Arizona State Spencer Torkelson, you know, who, who said we got to give Cal players of the week, oh, no. but no, I'm going <laughs> to give it to Armin Sabori, you know, as we've mentioned, him being stretched out increasingly over the past couple of weeks, and for him to not really have an extensive background this season in going 
long innings for him to be able to pitch six innings, allow two earned runs, strike out six. That's really what the doctor ordered for this Cal team and really being able to get the most out of the best pitchers that they do have. I'm going to be really excited to see what he can provide during this Washington series, whether he gets stretched out in a similar manner or if he's playing more of that opener role. I've, I've sort of credited him as being uh, the Swiss army knife of this Cal rotation in that he can be the opener, he can be the closer, he can be the starter. And so Sabori, my player of the week, uh, I have no clue where Max is, honestly. I think he's, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure he's at work right now and I'm pretty sure he's yeah. been working for the last couple hours. Uh, hopefully we can get him on the, le- the next podcast. Hopefully we can get all of us sort of on the next podcast, whether it be, uh, even if we're not together, we've done it a couple times on that basketball podcast that we have. Uh, also check out the new episodes of that. We're going to be having some some new episodes with my boy Rory <laughs> sometime soon. But until next time, season number two, episode number nine, Justice De Los Santos, Joey Patton, a.k.a. Jose Patron, <laughs> signing off. <laughs>